How we doing? This is Rob Foster with RBF Fitness and Nutrition. People upgrade their iPhones, they upgrade their Androids, they upgrade their laptops, but yeah. they're operating with the same brain that they operated with for the last decade. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. You know why you do what you do. So racism, it's out there, but it doesn't have to stop you. Just because somebody might look at you a certain way, that doesn't have to stop your forward progress. Where you have to eliminate the excuses. You gotta make that game plan say, for me to get to that point. Right. Happy Sunday, everyone. This is Rob Foster. Here we are with episode number 56 of Shut Up and Grind. So we talk about how to step into your greatness. We keep these shows motivational, educational, entertaining, and transformational. So, you know, we're all about overcoming obstacles. We're about health. But more importantly, we're about wellness and your well-being. So the last 55 guests We've had everything from psychotherapists to authors to soldiers to retired generals to teachers. So because wellness covers so many different layers. And today's show, we're going to talk about the healing power of music. So this is going to be a very, very empowering and impactful hour. So if you can't take it all in now, that's fine. But just make sure at some point you catch the replay or you catch the audio at shutupandgrind.me. So as we all know, we have the store where we have grind gear. So we have hoodies, we have sweatshirts, we have short sleeve, we have tank tops, we have masks, we have all kinds of good stuff. And that just goes to support the channel and just helps me expand the message as we take this baby global. So don't let the tank top fool you. I'm a man on a mission. All right. And so you, you guys also know I created the group Speak About Yourself. And it's right here on Facebook where I help you take your life's experiences and turn them into powerful stories. It's a free group. And if you're interested, just go to speakaboutyourself.com and that'll bring you right to the Facebook group. And then lastly, if you'd like to financially support the channel, you can go to shutupandgrind.me slash support with plans starting as low as 99 cents. So again, you help us, you be helping us help the world. All right, so as I said, today we're gonna talk about the healing power of music. And I'm sure everybody's got that one song that's your jam. And it, no matter what kind of a funk you're in, or if you go into the gym, you put the headphones on, you bust out some Eye of the Tiger and your whole mood changes. So we all, we all already know that music can definitely heal the soul. But I brought in an expert who's made it his life mission to help children and adults benefit from the power of music. So he is the creator of Keep Music Alive, along with his wife. And their one part of their mission statement is that music can change the world because it can change people. And we're going to get deeper into how that happens. And then the mission of their of their Keep Music Alive is to promote the value of music for children's education, the, the many types of therapy music helps with and for our overall happiness. 
Our ultimate goal is to help more children and adults reap the educational, therapeutic, and social benefits of playing music. So with that, welcome to the show, Mr. Vincent James. Hey, Rob. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Absolutely. All right. So let's just dive right in. Who is Vincent James? Who are my listeners listening to today? Well, it's kind of funny, Rob. I'm what you might call a frustrated musician mm. uh, who always wanted to play music for a living. Uh, since I was in high school, I ended up going the route of engineering in college, was urged by my parents to go that route. And yep. for 30 years, you know, I did the full-time engineering job with music passion on the side. And uh, there was a 10-year period, Rob, where I actually quit my full-time job five times over those 10 years trying to make a career as a musician. So that's where the frustrated musician comes in. Okay. And it wasn't until, you know, a little light bulb came off to me, and we'll talk about that, uh, the lightning bolt moment where I discovered what my true mission in life really needed to be, and that was to help others discover and realize and benefit from the powers of music. And that's kind of, you know, soup the nuts from where I went from the beginning to now and lots of uh, interesting details along the way. Awesome. So one thing you said there, I think a lot of people can resonate with is that you kind of had this one passion, but you were steered in another direction. Because right? <laughs> with me, I knew too, I wanted to do something in the health field. At the time, I wanted to be like an, an athletic trainer or some, something along those lines. And my dad, you know, God rest his soul, although he wasn't wrong, right? He wasn't wrong. He wanted me to go into computer engineering. Because like this was in 1992, so you know, knowing what we know, what computers have become, like I said, he wasn't wrong, but it, that didn't that didn't fuel me. Didn't and, resonate. And, and that's, it sounds like that's what your frustration was, you know, because you you knew where your heart wanted to take you, but let's let's talk about how you worked through that frustration. Well, it's funny. I mean, I'm going to go way back till you know, I was in high school. I played well. I'll go back further. I'll go back, I, you know, in elementary school when we first had the opportunity to learn how to play an instrument. Uh, oftentimes, at least back then, I think it was fourth grade, you know, you had an opportunity to learn an instrument at school, at many schools and at art school. And I remember coming home to my parents one day, like, I'd like to, you know, I want to learn how to play the guitar. And they were like, no, no, no. You know, so they said, pick something else. So I went back to school and then I came home the next day. I want to learn how to play drums. And they said, no, even louder. Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> We're not having that in here. And so they said, try again. So I ended up picking the trombone, which was a great instrument. And I actually played that for nine years all the way through high school. Played in, uh, you know, marching band, concert band, a stage band, which is kind of like a jazz band. Yep. And absolutely loved all the experiences. You know, band was like my other family. You know, that's most all of my friends really were from band. Uh in high school, I started, actually, I did end up picking up the guitar and the piano. Uh, my mom had a piano brought into the house. Uh, I was probably about 12 years old because she wanted to learn how to play. She was in her 40s, and she had always wanted to learn to play the piano. So she talked my dad into getting a piano, and they brought it in the house. And I was like, you know, a bead of honey. I ran right over. What is this? When can I, you know, lessons, please? <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I ended up taking classical piano lessons for three or four years uh, until I got bit by what I call the pop radio bug. Mm. You know, I got bit by the melodies and kind of drew me away from classical. But classical has always been in my roots, and you know, many of the artists that I loved over the years is because they had that in their music. Uh, 
And then at one point, you know, I got, because I was interested in pop music, you know, I wanted to start playing like in a band, you know, start a band, join a band or whatever. And the keyboards at that time, we're talking in the 70s, were very expensive uh, to purchase, but it was cheaper to buy a guitar. So like I got a guitar, started learning to play guitar and uh, started playing in bands and formed bands and, you know, throughout high school, you know, played at dances and other events, which was great. And as, you know, we alluded to earlier, so in my heart, I was like, I want to, you know, my future is music. This is what I want to do. Yeah, I'm good at math. You know, that's great. And by the way, I didn't know at the time it was the music education that was helping me be better at math. It was the, the connection that was building between the two sides of the brain. Yeah. Uh, but I really wanted to go to school for music. I mean, there's a local college here, Westchester University here in Pennsylvania. It's very well known for music education. I'm like, this is where I want to go. And my parents were like, you know, it's like you said, they weren't wrong. You know, they're steering me, you know, try to pick something a little more dependable, steady, you know, better career path. And, uh, you know, I, I allowed myself to be convinced to, all right, we'll go here and do engineering. And I got a degree in that and then started a career doing that. And then, you know, I can't remember. It was very soon after I started my first job. You know, I remember getting a book. Uh, you know, I think it was called Songwriters Market. You know, I'm like, well, I'll keep writing songs because I had been writing some songs up to that point, and maybe I'll pitch songs while I'm working my engineering job. And there it started. You know, I, you know, I was writing songs. They were getting better. At one time, it's kind of a you might recall this. I'm not sure. The uh, I wrote a song called Rock and Roll and Wrestling Connection. That rings uh, a bell. This was where, uh, so my in-laws at the time, I got married pretty young uh, the first time I got married. And uh, my in-laws at the time were really into the World Wrestling Federation and watching that on TV. And honestly, to me, I didn't relate to it at all. But because I was at the house and watching, like, people are really into this. And as a songwriter, I'm like, it clicked. I'm like, right, I'm going to write a song about it. So I wrote a song and it included many of the characters that were involved in this whole WWF and pop culture thing yeah. you know rowdy rowdy piper uh mr t uh hulk hogan and, and cindy lauper who as an artist musical artist she was connected in with captain captain albano and there was a whole thing going I on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i wrote a song and then i'm like all right i don't know what, what do i do with it and then around the same time you know i wanted to get the song recorded and i had never been in a professional studio at that time and I connected with some people locally who had a studio, a 16-track studio at the time. And we did a recording of it. And initially, I was singing the song. And it became very apparent, you know, this was a rock song. And my voice was not <laughs> what the song needed. So <laughs> the guy who owned the studio said, hey, I know a guy, you know, have him come over. And he sang it. I'm like, this is, this is <laughs> much better. And we did a really good recording of it. And I ended up bringing it to... Uh, Back then, there was a local television station called uh, Prism TV here in the Philadelphia area. And it's where it was the station where all the sports events were broadcast from. It was the, uh, you know, whatever your cable company is today, it was the cable company of our time here. Okay. And all the Philadelphia sports teams were broadcast on this on Prism and the Wrestling Foundation uh, broadcast were on there. I brought the tape of the song Rock and Roll Wrestling to a producer there. And he's like, you know, I really like this. He made a video out of the song using from WWF broadcast using cl uh, clips clips from the characters that were in the lyrics of the song, and they ended up playing. I'm telling you, I've seen that. I know. I like <laughs> the, the second you said the name, I was like, that that rings a bell because I was big into wrestling back then. But, but go ahead, continue. Yeah, absolutely. It was. Uh, 
So they ended up playing it on the air on uh, Prism TV, and it was played down at the Philadelphia Spectrum, which is the large arena yep. where the WWF events, WWF events were held. And I, who knows where it was played nationally. Uh, and this kind of brought me on to the next segment of my part-time music passion out of that song because so much was going on. We were like, well, we should put together a band <laughs> around the song. And uh, another buddy of mine who I recently event, met at that time, ended up managing the band and we put, you know, all these different players in the band and a lot of stuff started happening. And that kind of started my career as a band manager. Let the, let's, let's, let's talk through, let's talk through that. So when you said, let's start a band, like take, take me through that dialogue amongst everyone. Well, well, first of all, the decision had to be made myself is do I want to be in this band? And at the time I was pretty fairly recently married. I had a new child in my firstborn. I'm like, do I, is it a really good idea for me to be in the band and go wherever that ends up taking me? And I made the wise decision at the time. No, I, I need to be on in the background. And, uh, and so we, you know, we knew various different people that we connected with and we ended up putting together six piece band, which at the time was called free delivery and free delivery became really big in this Philadelphia area. And we had lab record labels that were interested, uh, but it wasn't working out at the time. Eventually they did get signed after we were involved with them uh, as another band, uh, another name. They changed the name to hit the ground running and they did pretty well with that. Uh, but that was kind of my, you know, baptism by fire into the whole music business. Uh, you know, we okay. visited. There's a piece that there's a piece that's missing there. So like, what was the conversation with your wife? Like, I'm trying to remember the conversation with my wife at the time. That was my first wife. And I don't, there was probably a conversation. And if I had to guess how it went, it, it, it influenced the decision not to be in the band. Uh, yeah, cause I yeah, think cause, it, cause once you said no, I was like, there, there was something else that happened there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously I would have loved to be in the band and play on the stage and, and do all that. Uh, number one, I wasn't the best musician. I and mean, we, we found people that were better. Yeah. And I was smart enough to know that that's the better choice. And at the time, I was like, you know, I was happy being a songwriter. Let me write more songs and let me do that. Even though part of you is like wants to be on stage yeah. and do that. But there was definitely a conversation at that time and uh, probably was swayed, you know, a little bit more like, you know, you should really not do that because it's just as a family person, it's just not good to be running all around. Yeah. Uh, see, and, and I want and I wanted to highlight that because I, I feel like that stunts a lot of people's growth. And Obviously, sure. family, family is huge. Family is important, but you making your dream a reality can enhance the family, you know, from on many different fronts. And and I feel like so many people hold back because of that. And and in my coaching program, I have a module that's assessing your, your support system. Mm -hmm. And that that's one of the biggest things is that the spouse may not be on board. And how to navigate around that. Cause like when I started my fitness business, my, my ex, she wasn't on board in the beginning either, you know, cause we were used to my management check getting, you know, having benefits and everything else, you know, sure, sure. time, you know, as an entrepreneur, you got to grind. And sometimes <laughs> you can grind, grind, grind. And then no money hits the bank account, you know, especially when you're first starting. So I think that's really tough to navigate and which is why I wanted to highlight that because you kind of just like danced around it. <laughs> <laughs> but but I feel like as far as, you know, relatability that there's probably people listening to this that are like, 
Yeah, because I can tell you, I missed out on, off the top of my head, probably four opportunities just because my exes weren't weren't really on board with the vision. So yeah. at least now I've forged ahead, and like now I'm doing doing what what I want to do, like, and it's working out. It is very important to have, you know, a strong support system. I'm very fortunate. 30 years ago, I met my current wife and, you know, has been completely supportive with anything that I wanted to do with regard to music or really anything. I could say I want to be an astronaut and she'd be like, I'll miss you, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just it's just that level of connection. But you're absolutely right. A lot of times, you know, we do allow these external things, external things to us, you know, hold us back uh, and, if it's something we really, really want to do, I mean, to me, in the end, I wanted to do play, do something music as a career. And I think part of the problem, you know, we can get into this in a little bit, that it hasn't happened over the last 30 years and only now is getting very close to happening is because I never really focused on in any one direction long enough. You know, I would do, you know, I started, you know, I did the songwriter thing. I was focusing on that for a while. And then I was managing bands You know, I managed a couple of different bands for a couple of years. Then I ended up working in a recording studio and then co-owning recording studio. Then I ended up, uh, I realized I was writing a lot of love songs. So I ended up buying lovesongs.com, the domain and oh, selling, nice. uh, writing love songs for weddings and anniversaries for couples all over the world. Uh, and I did that for a bunch of years, but my heart was never really completely, you know, it's, it was almost like my engineering career. Yeah, I'm kind of good at it, but is this what I really want to be doing? Is this my end game? Yeah. You know, is this my passion? Uh, and, it, and it wasn't. I, I wasn't really comfortable doing it, even though I was kind of good at doing it. I mean, people yeah. love the songs that I wrote. Uh, it wasn't until, geez, I don't want to skip anything, but let's see here. About several seven years ago, six and a half years ago, I was listening one day, Rob, to a teleseminar. Uh, and honestly, I don't even know why I bothered listening to it, because the title of the teleseminar was How Everyone Has a Book Inside Them They Need to Write. Mm. I never thought I would write a book. I mean, I, what, what was I going to be? What was I consider consider myself an expert at? I was a pretty good songwriter. I was a pretty good engineer, but I wasn't an expert on either one because I didn't focus <laughs> on either one. <laughs> but something drew me. You ever have something where you just drawn to it and you don't know why? So like I, I picked up the phone. This is back before Zoom, before the internet was as big as now. You know, you listen to a training call, a teleseminar on the phone. I'm listening to it. And as I'm listening to it, the literal bolt of lightning hit me. What about a book of inspirational stories of how music impacted people's lives? I could solicit stories from all over the world, from artists and and non-artists, non-musicians, and put that together and we could publish that. I got so excited. You know, I ran up the stairs to tell my wife, you know, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And she was like, all right, let's do it. And the funny thing is, a few weeks later, I talked her into being a co-author, and we've been <laughs> going gangbusters ever since. And this is the first book that came out eventually, June 2015, 88 Plus Ways Music Can Change Your Life. And there's over 100 stories uh, of how music impacted people's lives, sometimes quite dramatically. And, you know, at the time, we were nobody. And we were reaching out to artists, some of them many famous. We ended up getting about a dozen celebrity artists to contribute stories to the book and we were so grateful uh people like uh, simon kirk who was the drummer for bad company and free uh, vanessa carlton uh the guy from the singer from toto bobby kimball and a number of others that just you know graciously offered their story uh to be part of the book 
and you know we were th- and we were off and running that was like that was the beginning of this whole direction that I'm going in now yeah and you said the key sentence there they offered their story they offered their story <laughs> and just like how you said you know how you know the healing power of music like this healing power in words is as as well and so like when I started mine I was like all right so what am I gonna bring to the world and because is everybody has a story everyone it doesn't matter where you live what gender you are what you identify as none of that stuff matters you have a story you know and so no no matter what language you speak it doesn't matter and what what you did there is like you took you sat down and like what do I have to offer the world and then you just uh, splice together music and motivation, you know, music and healing. And it was all, it was already there. Some people rack their brains looking for the next greatest thing. And the answer is right on the tip of your tongue. Because <laughs> I did the same thing. I, I'd be working on 10 different projects, you know, like which, which direction should I go into? Cause like, I'm passionate about empowering women. I'm passionate about emp- uh, empowering teens and coaching, coaching teens in uh, track and field and basketball. Like, there's just so many different lanes. But, right. I was like, but I was like, you know what? Instead of picking one, because all the gurus say pick one. I was like, you know what? I'm going to splice it all into one thing. And then that's when Shut Up and Grind was born. <laughs> because that can, that can encompass every possible industry because everyone has a story to tell. It's like, yes. why, why are we bringing you on to hear your story? <laughs> you know, why, why is the guest on Tuesday coming to hear their story? <laughs> so, because there's healing power in these stories. You know, people hear, you know, when you get to hear other people's stories, we often relate to different aspects of it, the experiences they went through. Yeah. And they, we bring it back to our own, you know, upbringing and what we're going through now and what we think we might be going through in the future. And we find ways to learn and improve. And there's little light bulbs, you know, go off. Yeah. And, and help us in a better direction. Absolutely. All right. So you have the band created now. And then what are what are the next steps from there? So the band is created. And let's see. Uh, well, the band did really well here in the Philadelphia area. Um, and they were selling out venues. Uh, we were talking to record labels. Uh, we went up to MD- MTV with the video that Prism did. And they weren't quite, you know, they, at that point, they wanted it to be a signed act before they were going to play it. Okay. So we're like, all right, we'll be back. Uh, but then as many often happens uh, in band situations, there starts to be some turmoil. And, and as a result, you know, we ended up parting ways. You know, my buddy and I who were managing the band, you know, ended up having to part ways with the band. And, and they went on to be managed by a friend of ours. And that, you know, did okay for a bit. And then they went on to be managed by another outfit. And that's when they ended up getting signed as a different name, hit the ground running. Uh, What what caused the uh, division? uh, Basically it's, you know, uh, what I uh, like to say is when you start out often in a situation like this, you don't have anything in writing. You you talk about what you're doing and what the arrangement's going to be. But if you don't put that in place early enough, uh, later on, you know, things, ideas can start to develop in people's minds about how, you know, Maybe they could have this or maybe they could have that. Mm. And uh, and then when you finally put the paper in front of them, like this is what we agreed upon, this is what we're doing, and uh, oh, by the way, we helped you get this far, uh, they weren't interested. Gotcha. So It's sad. It's sad. Yeah, you know, that's the, the first, you know, lesson number one. 
<laughs> so true. So true. Okay. All right. So 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 now that that happens, and then what happens from there? Well, then I went on to manage uh, another band, local band. Uh, didn't you know? Didn't do nearly as well, but you know, it was a great experience. Had some great songs. That was a band that actually ended up sending off to Greenland, Greenland to perform for a week. Uh, you know, for the armed forces, which is a really cool experience for them. Uh, I was, I, I really wish I had gone on. You know, <laughs> had gone on that. It would have been a cool, cool experience. Uh, and then after that, uh, you know, I had almost forgotten Rob. That's when I started. Like, you know what? So that band didn't work out. Uh, they ended up breaking up uh, and, you know, the singer met somebody and went off and wanted to do his own thing. And so I'm at that point, I'm like, all right, I'm done managing bands. You know what? I can't control a band, but I can control myself. It's time for me to be the artist. Absolutely. So that's when I started taking some songs that I had and songs that I was aware of. Uh, to me, it was always important. You know, some of the most successful artists you hear on the radio and, and online these days they don't write their own material and that's okay. But what they know, they realize, Hey, I need to put forth the best songs that represent, you know, the message and the voicing I want to put out there. You know, if I just use my own songs, they might not be good enough to be heard. So mm -hmm. you pick, you know, Madonna was classic at that. You know, she knew how to identify the best songs out there that were available to be recorded. And she latched onto them. She made them her own and made them huge hits. And then she did more writing as time went on. But in the beginning, she learned, you know, you pick the best songs. Don't be trying to be, it has to be all mine. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I picked some songs that were really good. And I started, you know, recording them, uh, created my own record label, which is 1989. Uh, you know, put out my first CD when CDs were pretty new, especially for independent artists. You know, all my independent artist friends locally, most of them were still doing the 12-inch record. I'm like, you know what, I'm... They break too easily. I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go the CD route. And I started putting up CDs and uh, released a single nationally on my own, promoted it myself, uh, created an alter ego name to, uh, to contact music directors. You know, I wasn't Vincent James calling them. I was Pierre Domenico calling <laughs> them to promote the record. And yeah. I did that and, you know, got a little bit of traction. Then I did another record and tried to build on that. And then I did another record. And then, about five years into that, then, you know, my family uh, started, life started getting more involved and I started just kind of fading away from that. And I kind of consciously just changed direction. I'm like, I almost walked, I kind of like walked away from music for a while. And you find many musicians will do this, you know, they're doing something for a while and because their heart's not completely in it, 100%. And mine wasn't, mine wasn't as being the artist. I walked away and just stopped doing music for a little while and it became more doing family stuff and uh, just kind of thinking about what I would do next. And it wasn't until you know, a year or so after that, that I, you know, music draws you back in. Uh, and I started playing more and doing, going out and performing. When I was doing the records I was releasing before, I was performing as a track, what's known as a track artist, meaning I would have my music tracks on a CD and take that to clubs and events. And then I would be up on stage performing, you know, singing the song live. Uh, but now I was moving more towards of organic where I would be, you know, bringing a piano and playing and singing in different kinds of events. I was more doing the coffee houses and bookstores and, and smaller type venues as opposed to the, the big dance clubs. Yeah. But I was enjoying myself playing, playing the music. And it wasn't something that was going to become a career at doing that. But I got into recording again 
And that's kind of what segued me into the love songs aspect where, you know, a lot of these songs I'm writing are love songs. So were, were you with your current wife at this point? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Continue. Love yeah. Song. She was hundred percent supportive of everything, you know, since we've been together. And, uh, I kind of remember Rob, I was, I think at one point I probably Googled love songs and the, you know, or I went to lovesongs.com and I noticed that there was nothing happening there. You know, somebody owned it, but they weren't doing anything with it. Yeah. And this was in 19. No, I'm sorry. At this point, it's about the year 2000. And so I contacted the people who owned it and, and it and turns out they were willing to sell it. So I ended up buying it for at the time was the price of a small, you know, compact car of what I paid for the domain. Uh, and then I went out and HTML together a website uh, crudely. You know, I wasn't a, a web design expert by any means of the, but you know, I put something together and I started putting it out there and I started writing songs for people. And I did that. I mean, I still do it if somebody asks, but I don't promote it at all. No time to do that. But uh, you know, I started writing songs for people uh, and I asked them to tell me their story. You know, I, I have like a little interview questionnaire and I'm basically asking them to tell me, you know, I, I tell them, let, when you answer these questions, you know, put as much, as little or as much detail as you feel comfortable in sharing. Yeah. Sometimes I'll get those couple sentences for each answer, for each question. Sometimes I'll get paragraphs and paragraphs for each one. <laughs> and which is great because, as you know, you, the more of the story, the more you can get in tune with what they're wanting to express. And then I'll take, you know, I'll print it out. I take it up to the piano, sit it up there. And then I just let it come to me, you know, and like, what are they really trying to say? What, what, how can I express this in a song lyrically and musically that they're going to hear this? And for the, the very first time, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. That's exactly it. And that's what I would do. And, and I got to be really good at that. Uh, let me, let me highlight, let me highlight one thing that you said there that I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with, or I, I shouldn't even say resonate with that. It holds a lot of people back is the fear of uh, things not being perfect. But you said, <laughs> you said you put together a website, you know, web web designer, but you got it done and you put it out there and you just got started. And like yes. the message I try to hammer home to people because they think everything has to be perfect. Like when people ask me, you know, how'd you start, start your gym? I said, I started it in a park. <laughs> you know, started yeah. in a park by, by my house. You know, I wanted to get clients first before I started taking on overhead. But yeah, so many people, they, they want the turf and they want the rubber and they want the state-of-the-art equipment. I had used Craigslist equipment. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like that's that's how I started it. And then, you know, give it a couple of years. And then we opened up a beautiful 5,000 square foot facility. But even then, we didn't fully outfit it immediately. So just over time, I think we started with like four kettlebells, like a couple sandbags. And now I probably have, you know, thousands of dollars worth of kettlebells and, you know, the sandbags and just all kinds of different stuff because you can always upgrade, you know. So so yes. for the people out there, if you're sitting on an idea or like you have a website built, but you haven't launched it because you don't think it's perfect, like nobody cares about about your perfection. They care about your product. Or your yes. service—that's what it boils down to. You have to start somewhere, and I'll tell you one of the number one sayings that came to us from one of our mentors. And you're going to really like this, and that's version one is better than version none. 
Yes. <laughs> yep. You, you got to start somewhere. Like you said, you got to put it out there and then you build from that. But if you never, if you allow your fears or your anxieties from ever putting it out there, then, I, then nothing's going to come of it. Yeah, exactly. Like my, my mentor said, uh, uh, done beats perfect every time. Yep. Yeah. So it's yes, like, it does. you can get it out and you can always tweak, adjust, upgrade, change color schemes. Like there's so many, you know, change out your pictures. You can al- always do that. I mean, this is just a stupid background, but the first background I had didn't look like that. <laughs> yeah, and that's a nice one there. It was pretty. It was pretty bad. <laughs> Same thing. I made it myself on Canva, and I was like, "Cause you know, but behind the screen is just a wall. You know, like this used to be my my kids' room. Uh-huh. And so I turned it in, into my office slash recording recording room. But it, it, like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted to get something up there just to cover the back wall. And so then over time, I just started tweaking. So you know what? So I kind of have to make it where I'm in the middle. Because the last one, the shut up and grind was like across the middle of my back. <laughs> so it couldn't even be seen. You know, the, tag, right. the tagline wasn't seen. But, but in the beginning, I was still gaining viewers because it's about the content and the quality of, of the guests coming on and how we build the story. Like, that's what mattered. So... And the learning accelerates. You know, once you actually put something out there, you're learning on how to make it better. Accelerates yes. because you have something you started from. You're starting to get feedback, not only from other people, but from yourself. Because when you're actually using it, you're not just sitting there looking at it like there's my unfinished thing, my unfinished book. You know, I've been writing this book for 10 years and I'm not going to put it, you know, I'm afraid to put it out. You know, at some point you have to put it, put it out and then grow from there. Yes, exactly. I agree 100%. All right, so let's talk about keep music alive. So, like, take 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 me through how you thought of this first, and then just go through the steps of, you know, your wife and I talking about it, like how you pieced it together, how you executed it, and then we'll get to what you're doing now. So, you know, I mentioned about the book series, and we started with a book. It wasn't a book series, and that was the first, you know, step into music education advocacy. Uh, we wanted to do this book. We were reaching out to people. We reached out to over 6,000 musicians around the world, asking them if they had a story. Uh, and that's how we built up, you know, the 100 plus stories for the first book. And then as we're doing that process, we had not even, you know, published the book yet. Uh, I had this crazy idea thinking, you know what, there should be a week every year where musicians everywhere and music stores offer a free lesson to new students, you know, just to get them started, to get them like wet their appetite, put their hands on the keyboard, get their hands on the guitar, put the pick in their hand and show them what it feels like. And, you know, maybe they'll continue. So that's how Teach Music Week was born in 2015. And honestly, the very first year we did it, it was really just me just putting it out there on social media. There was no website. It was just like, hey, all my musician friends, I think, you know, how about this week you find somebody, a friend, family member, whoever, who's, who's always talked about wanting to play the instrument that you know and sit them down for a half an hour and give them a free lesson and see if you can get them started on playing. Yeah. And that's how it began. Uh, and then the very next year, uh, I started reaching out to media in our area. And that's they were like, well, you know, you know, can we go actually see somebody who's having this free lesson? And then I'm like, the light bulb goes on. You know, I should probably be actually contacting music schools directly. And that's how it grew. You know, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's grown as we created our own internal database of 5,000 music schools and stores around the world that we individually connect with to get them to partner with us. 
But in the early days of Teach Music Week, uh, we ran into a lady who created something called Kids Music Day. I'm sorry, Kids Yoga Day. Yoga Day, okay. And I'm like, Kids Yoga Day, that's really cool. Well, what about Kids Music Day? I wonder if there is such a thing. So, you know, I'm immediately jumping on Google and looking. No, can't find There's nothing, nothing. So we jumped in, bought the domain, kidsmusicday.org, and from there it was born. And we started, you know, six months after Teach Music Week because we wanted to separate them, you know, in the calendar. Uh, in October, Kids Music Day, we partner with the same, you know, music schools and music stores. And instead of offering a free lesson, which some of them do for Kids Music Day, but they also offer things like an instrument petting zoo, uh, kids, a kids open mic, uh, community. Uh, student performance like they have their students perform either in-house at their location or out in the community somewhere uh almost anything they can think of that either benefits or celebrates kids playing music we encourage them to do and then we promote it you know we reach out to the media both national and and locally in everybody's area all the major markets to let them know that this is going on and we've been growing this over the last five six years to now partnering with over a thousand music schools and stores each year to do this and getting partners, um, several, over a dozen music brands that support us as promotional partners and over a dozen celebrities that lend their name and image as Kids Music Day Ambassadors. And it's kind of been an organic thing that we've been growing step by step, slowly making mistakes and learning, making mistakes and learning. And, and gradually, you know, one of the lessons we're learning is, you know, stop trying to do everything ourselves. You know, we're bringing in more experienced board members to help us with the, the nonprofit. Rob, the whole nonprofit thing is a lesson to be learned there. We were afraid yeah. to make it a nonprofit because of the fear we've heard from different people, their experiences they went through trying to create their nonprofit. So I put it off for the first couple of years. I'm like now, you know, we'll just do it this way. It'll be just a, a loose organization. Uh, but being a cause based mission, you know, we realized this eventually this is something we needed to do. And, you know, we had trouble initially trying to create the nonprofit. You know, we taught, we worked with an accountant an attorney and then an accountant, all who, you know, were going to try to lead us on the right way to create the nonprofit. But in the end, after two, three months, four months, nothing was happening. Uh, it was probably longer than that, you know, and I was getting frustrated. Finally, I'm like, you know what? I know we need to do this. Let me just put it out to the universe, you know, because I know there's other nonprofits out there that will see some of my posts. You know, how did you create your nonprofit? What did you do? And uh, one of the, another music nonprofit who was one of the early beneficiaries to our book, because we donate proceeds of her book to other nonprofits, uh, she wrote back and said, hey, we used this outfit down in Florida uh, that, you know, helped us, you know, create our application for the government. And, you know, what? Me, it was the best thing we ever did. Let me highlight that, because, again, right, going back to the whole assessing your, your support system, like it boggles my mind how people take advice from people who aren't doing what they want to do. <laughs> that drives me insane. Because as I was listening, as I was listening to you there, I was like, just find someone with a successful nonprofit <laughs> and, say, hey, and say, hey, how did you do that? <laughs> you know, it's like just so so many times we, we let the people in our circles, and I'm not saying this happened to, to you, but we let right. people in our circles talk us out of the things that we want to do, but but they aren't even doing it. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah, you don't. You know, you find people who are doing what you're already doing, what you want to be doing, yes. and you learn from them how they did it. Yeah, and that's absolutely what happened. I mean, this outfit in Florida, you know, they know how to put the round pegs in the round holes and the square pegs in the square holes, 
for your application to become a 501c3. And we literally, from the time I hit submit on the application to the time we received the email back from the IRS saying we're in, one month. Wow. Which was amazing. October 20, 2017. And, That's uh, awesome. That's awesome. But, and, see, and see what happened. So now you took advice from others and you put it off for years, you said. Yeah, right? basically. So, so then you found someone who knew what they were doing and you got it done in a month. Right. And, you know, let's, let's shortchange that next time for the next thing you're trying to do and find someone sooner. And, and another one of our mentors, you know, thing is ask, 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 you know, become an askaholic. Yeah. You know, just, just keep asking until you find the answer that you really need. Yeah, it's true. I went to, when I first got into fitness, I was taking a job at a local YMCA. And as I'm being show, shown around, I meet up with the general manager and the, the director's like, you know, this is Rob Foster. He's, he's going to, he wants to become a trainer. And the, and the guy looked, this is the general manager now. He looks me dead in my eyes and says, you don't want to do that. There's no money in it. You know, so, so like right there at that moment, he tried to clip my wings. <laughs> and so I, I didn't start. Like I, I was supposed to start that day. I was like, I can't work here. I was like, I can't. It's like, dude, dude's trying to, trying to, you know, poo poo on what I want to do here. Well, maybe he was, maybe he was test maybe he was testing you. Oh no, he was dead serious. Like I can okay. tell. Oh yeah. Okay. Like, even though I was really young then, I started managing at fifteen. You know, okay. so I, I learned how to how to read people at a pretty young age. All and, right. And he he meant it. And I was like, nope. So I ended up I ended up going out to California to a fitness business summit, and I was there just surrounded by people with six figure, multiple six figure, seven figure business and um, uh, fitness business empires. I'm like, holy crap! And I was it's like, this. This, it's possible. Yeah, like this this is a whole world that I didn't think was was possible just from the stuff I was being fed from other people. So that changed everything. Yeah, surround yourself with like-minded people, learn from their experiences and don't be afraid to ask, ask, ask. Yes. All right, so you get the nonprofit set up and then take take us from that point. So, you know, another lesson learned as you go along the way. So when we started our nonprofit, of course I'm like, you know, I want to do this quick. And the people that were helping us do it, the outfit, they're like, you know, you need to have a board and you and your wife cannot be the majority on the board. It has to be at least three, three other people uh, on the board. So we're like, all right. So in order to get quick yeses, I went and just ping, you know, a couple people, three people that I knew would, pro you know, had an interest in music. They were involved in music in some way. And I was pretty sure they would say yes. So I could put their names on the application. Mm -hmm. And that's how we started. And, uh, and as many nonprofits realize, you know, their starter board isn't always the board you're going to grow with. And so we learned in time, you know, to start, you know, asking other people and bringing other people in to help us. And, you know, we were very grateful eternally for the people that help us, you know, start it because it helped us turn it around more quickly. Uh, but, you know, we learned to bring in more experienced people, uh, business managers. My, my wife and I, we have a lot of great ideas. We're very creative, you know, running and growing a nonprofit, you know. We're, that's brand new. <laughs> so, you know, we need a lot of help and guidance and, and business knowledge from people that have experience. So, so we're slowly bringing in that into our board, into our advisory circle. And it's making a huge difference because we're just getting answers, the right answers a lot faster. Yes. And that's the key word, the right answers. <laughs> right. The yes. Right you know, and things, you know, sometimes, you know, they'll call us out on things that, you know, we've been like, you know, 
we know we're doing this this way and this is not, you know, but, and they're like, you know, you should fix this. <laughs> yeah. And that's the importance of having a coach because yep. so on, on multiple fronts, because I probably had, I think five different coaches. I want to say, because remember I told you I was all over the place, you know, niche wise. So yep. I, I had one for, for fitness. I had one for online marketing. I have one for Facebook marketing. I have one for getting on media so it's like when I get on here and I speak, it's like, yeah, like I'm sharing a lot of info, but like I got this info from all of my mentors. That's know? right. Because like I dropped out of college. So like, like I don't have that, that educational background, but I've traveled the country and just found the best in these, in these niches. And I just soaked in everything I could from them. And so it's not, you know, the same path that someone else may have taken. But now I have so many people in my group that have degrees. Like I just helped helped um, a clinical psychologist with, with a PhD start, start a podcast, you know. So it's nice. like, so you can be educated in many different ways. But That's I right. want to bring it back to the music and, and like using music as a healing, as a healing uh, tool. Because if, if you think even in the fitness world, just think about it, like spin classes is very dependent on the music that's playing. You know, yoga classes, getting into that Zen state depends on the music. If, if you're going to go in and just look, look in the smash, you know, the music that, that you play, really <laughs> it, it reflects the mood that, that you're in. And yep. when people are feeling down, it can pick you right back up. So like, how, how do you guys use music as a healing agent? Well, what we are is an advocacy organization, so we're not directly involved with touching people with music, yeah. except for we do run our year-round when we're not in pandemic mode. We run musical instrument petting zoos for for kids okay. all over the Philadelphia area at schools, libraries, outdoor events. We bring in guitars, ukuleles, keyboards, dozens of different percussion instruments and let them put their hands on the instruments. And we have teaching artists, volunteers that help them, you know, help them learn a little bit and get them excited about music and playing music. Uh, but we've learned a lot from the stories, you know, that we've gathered through the book, uh, how music has touched people's lives. And it's just, it's just amazing, you know, whether it's an autistic child, uh, oftentimes has been very closed up and not very communicative, you know, communicative, even with their own family. Yeah. And then you put a drum in front of them and show them or a guitar and start to show them or a keyboard. And they, they start to be able to express themselves in a way other than spoken word. Yeah. And guess what happens along the way? They start speaking more. They start communicating more, not only with their family, but with people that it's not part of their immediate family. And it just helps them grow and become more, more happy and the family happy. And it's just develops them in a way that without music to them, it just unlocks something in the brain. You know, they use music for in post-op oftentimes to reduce pain, to lessen the pain meds they need to use. And there's a reason for that, because when you're listening to something, and now it's not only helping you on the treadmill go longer, faster, it's it's helping your reliance. You know, it's decreasing the pain that you're sensing. The pain is still there, yeah. but because you're jamming to something that you really like, it's like it's in the background. Yeah, it's, it's in a the positive, background. Yeah, it's a positive outlet. It releases a dopamine chemical, which is yes. the feel-good chemical, which you're aware of, you know, through exercise. Yep. Uh, music does that. 
And I mean, you combine music and motion. I mean, look out. <laughs> <laughs> like I use, I listen to uh, music before every podcast, before every Zoom call. So like, that's why when you first popped on, my video was off. Because <laughs> I sat back here and I'm jamming. <laughs> you know, just, just to get the get the energy up before the show starts. <laughs> so yeah. It's that's very cool. Great. Yeah. I mean, we recommend people put together, you know, their own customized playlists for different situations. You know, uh, and I recommend something called a pump it up playlist, which is, you know, some of your favorite inspirational high energy songs, you know, whether it's journey in any way you want it or don't stop believing or, you know, happy and whatever it is that that gets you up and moving. That's your pump it up playlist. And then you have the the chill out playlist where you just want to relax. That's, you know, that's kind of like the Zen one. You want to get into that mode. Yeah. Uh, you know, different songs and types of music that kind of bring you down that level, help to ground you, make you feel more centered. And then we also have something called a cry it out. You know, you're having a bad experience and, you know, we need to let our emotions out. We can't hold them inside because that's actually damaging to our physical health, whether we realize yeah. it or not. Yeah. So, you know, the right song, the right music, you know, can help you. You know, I like to say cry it out, you know, let the tears out, let it flow, whatever it is, because once you release it is when the healing can start to begin. Absolutely. Yeah. Back to that being a positive outlet. So um, would you believe that when I work out, I listen to slow jams? Really? Really? <laughs> yeah. Like old school with like Whitney Houston and, you know, Alicia Keys. I don't know. Nice. Even when I clean the house. When I clean the house, I put on old school R and B and just start dancing out. And that's what inspires you. And you know, everybody's playlist is different. Everybody's yeah. you know preferences is different. You know, my jam list is going to be different than your jam list, different than the next person. But we yeah. all know what gets us going. We all know that we really like to hear for different situations. Yes. And you know, I have my favorite song to pump me up is actually a song by Genesis called uh, "Between the Lines." Okay. And it's just something that resonates me from resonates with me from 1980 when that album first came out, and I played, you know, I put the needle down over and over again uh, to start that album over again. I think it was the first song on the side. And it's just so powerful. Yeah. Uh, and then the lyrics at the time kind of meant something to me because the situation I was in, uh, just you know, I, I attached a different meaning to the lyrics that worked for me at the time. Yeah. Uh, but the music, the production is just like. Dun, 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 dun. You know, and it's just just really powerful. You know, when I'm going on an interview, sometimes, especially if I'm doing a TV thing, I'm like, I'm I'm going to jam out to that and get myself psyched up. You know, I'll be standing, I'll be moving around the room, and like, all right, I'm ready, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so before before any type of competition, like if I'm playing basketball, if I'm um, doing a track meet, then I'll listen to to the more the more pump up stuff, like your Fort Miners and Trapped, and like just that. That really intense stuff, you know, it's, it's like because a you, rocky soundtrack or something. <laughs> <laughs> because you're getting ready to do something that's more competitive, yes. you know, and 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 in those situations, you want to be, you know, on edge, yeah, on the right edge. Yeah, yeah. It's like when I'm when I'm say if I'm outside playing basketball, I'll have my my other headphones on, and I think it's I play the slower songs because I'm more relaxed, and like and then when I'm shooting, I shoot so much better. It's like I don't know I don't know how it works, but it works for me. Yeah, you're grounded. Your yeah. music is grounding you, and you're not letting external forces affect what your arms and hands know yes. to be the right movement to make it go and swish. 
<laughs> yep, like at, at 46 now, I think I have enough mu- muscle memory, but but yet yeah, yeah, <laughs> I just I just drowned just drowned everything out and it's just just it all just flows, you know. It puts like, you in the zone. It puts you yeah. in the zone. It's the same thing when performing, you know, when I'm performing on stage, uh which I don't do as often as I'd like to. Uh but you know, when you're in the zone and you're playing, you're you're one with whatever you're doing. You're one with playing that song. Nothing external is, and the energy that's coming through you, you know, me doing the playing, you shooting the shot is more powerful than anything else. Yeah, so true, so true. All right, so we got we got about about seven minutes to go. So let's so let's get back in into your your organization. So like, how how do people fi- find you, or like, do do you just stick to? I mean, I know everything's weird now with uh with the pandemic. Actually, let's talk about that. How how have you pivoted in the last year? Well, it's it's interesting. So we were about to celebrate Teach Music Week last March uh, when everything went to hell in a handbasket, to uh, <laughs> coin an expression. Yeah. Uh, so we pivoted right away, and many of the music schools pivoted really within a week. They were offering online lessons and classes to their existing clients. Yeah. Uh, but for Teach Music Week, offering something to a new client, new student, was more difficult for them last year because they were struggling just to get all their existing students moved over from the in-person to the, uh, to the virtual world. But now that we've been in this for a year, you know, they're all up and going steady basis. And, uh, you know, we have about a thousand locations participating in teach music week happening March 15th, uh, in about 10 days, uh, I think 15, 16 different countries have locations that are participating, offering either a free lesson or a free class. Some of them are doing it in person, you know, socially distanced, they have barriers, everybody has to wear a mask. And and then many of them are also doing the, the hybrid, doing the virtual mode. Mm. Uh, which is really good. Uh, so that's what we're up to right now. We're about to celebrate that seventh annual Teach Music Teach Music Week, which to me is amazing. I can't believe I've been, you know, I allowed myself to focus on something this long. And I think, you know, I got that excited feeling, you know, six and a half years ago, like this is what I need to be doing. And that's what's, you know, I think earlier we were talking off camera, you know, about the why, you know, music has always been so important to me. And I think when I realized the power of how important it is to me and how even more important it is to other people, to the world, I'm like, it's what got me excited. It's what gets me up in the morning. What's what keeps me working. Uh, it keeps me motivated to reach out, to ask questions, to get over my fears of asking people for things, picking up the phone and talking to people that before I'd be like afraid to have this conversation. But now I'm just like, my why is, it's not for me. It's not for me. I'm, we're helping other people and that's what's driving us forward. Yes, when people come to me with the fear of public speaking, the first thing I tell them is like, you know, you might get offended by this, but you're being selfish. It's like that's what that's <laughs> why that's why you're afraid. You're afraid because you're worried about you. It's like not understanding that the power <laughs> of your story can help other people. It's like, so instead of being afraid of the people that might not resonate with your message, you gotta just step into the ones who do. You know, so, so I'm sure there are yep. probably people that come on to, to my show and they're like, shut up and grind. Like, who's this guy? They think he is and just shut up. But then there's people <laughs> that will be here and they tell me that they they listen on the regular. So it's like, yep. all right, so what I'm doing is helping people. That's so right. I'm not, I'm not going to worry about the ones who have negative stuff to say. Absolutely. So, so once people step into that, that's when you start becoming less and less afraid of opening up. And when you get over that fear and you put put it out into the universe, that way you to attract more people that you're going to resonate with. Yep. And you'll find too, if you engage 
with the trolls and the haters, then they win. <laughs> it's, it's like people yeah. people yeah. post stuff <laughs> to get a reaction. So That's when right. people post stuff, I just delete it. I, I don't entertain it. I don't give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I just simply remove it. And so yep. now, so now, like I really don't get much any anymore because people know that I'm not going to respond. So you're going to waste your time by putting that comment. And that's really a part of you know emotional intelligence. And, and honestly, that's something that took me many decades to learn. You know, not just online in the online world, but in the real world, yep. about how not to respond to things, to think about it for a little bit, hold back. Like, what is really the best course of action? And in this case, you're talking about you know you just delete. You know, don't. Don't put, don't give them any energy back, and exactly. and most of them will fade away. Yep, because that's the, you said it. It's like I I call it emotional control, but emotional intelligence yep. absolutely is like that's what people are trying to do. Like if I say this, he or she will react like that, <laughs> right? So if you right. don't you don't give it to them, then it's not fun for them. So don't like, give, don't allow others to take your power away. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So like once you can maintain, you know, that the sky is seriously the limit. Uh, let's talk about the book again really quick. So what are some some key takeaways? So some key, you know, this book series and, and actually we just published the second book, uh, 88 More Ways Music Can Change Your Life. Uh, we published that on New Year's Eve uh, just a couple months ago and another 100 stories about music, how music impacted people's lives. And it just ratchets itself another notch. Uh, just, you know, some stories will make literally make you cry. Some stories will make you laugh. Some stories will make you go like, I, I, I can't believe that happened. I just don't believe it. And you can yeah. connect with the story contributors. Their information is in there. You can reach out to them and talk to them about their story. And we actually have, we interview a different story contributor every week on our own 88 Ways Music Chit Chat show on, on Facebook. Uh, and it's just great hearing even more detail about their story. And we're always looking for more stories. We're actually looking to publish two special versions of the book in the not too distant future, an armed forces edition and a marching band edition, because these are two areas where music plays a very important role. Marching band is more obvious, obviously. So many people were affected and impacted positively by their marching band experience, but also in armed forces uh, music, whether you're playing, you know, you're playing your guitar or whatever to blow off steam when you're not out there actively serving or you're being entertained by, you know, entertainers are coming in to help, help, you know, help you during the stressful times. Music is, you know, we've heard from so many people that have been in the armed services, how music has played a role. So we're looking to put together a special version for that. Love it. Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll definitely spread the word on that as, as well. Cause as I, as I meet people, on these shows, I mean, I get people's stories. <laughs> so it's like that that's the whole pur- purpose of doing <laughs> this show. And I do it four times a week. So I'm, I'm getting 16 people a month. And um, as, as I find wow. people, people that re- resonate with what you do, you know, I'll, I'll connect you with them so uh, so they can they can share with you. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. My pleasure. This, yeah. is, this, has, been, this has been great. Very enlightening, inspiring conversation for me. Awesome. Thank you. Pre- appreciate that. Yeah. And again, and the whole purpose of this, it's about collaboration. You know, it's all about collaboration. So in any way that I can help, let me know and uh, see what we can do. Thank you. Likewise. Same. All right. All right. So give us a final word and then we'll sign off. 
Oh, well, the final word is if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing, the best place to find us, uh, the central place is keepmusicalive.org. If you want to learn about Teach Music Week, Kids Music Day, about instrument petting zoos, ways you can help support our organization or maybe do something with music education in your area, come talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Love it. So, Vincent, as you said, this has been a great conversation. Much appreciated. And uh, thank you for your time and sharing with, with the listeners. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Rob. Really appreciate appreciate this opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, don't don't sign off. I'll be right back. I'll, I'll be here. All right. <laughs> All right. So that was Vincent. Again, his website's up here, keepmusicalive.org. If you're tuning in late, I, I advise, please go back, watch from the beginning. Because as you know, with every show, we, we take you through the guest journey. You know, I don't just bring people on to just, you know, pop up how great they are because everyone has a story. Everyone has a starting point. Somebody struggled somewhere at some point and they had to learn how to step into their greatness. So that's what we highlight here. So as I said, go back to the beginning, take the time and just listen to it because he dropped a whole lot of golden nuggets during this last hour. All right. So once one more time. We got that grind gear, all right? Shut up and grindgear.com. Well, again, if you want to support the show, if you want to support Vincent's work, keepmusicalive.org. And that's about it. So this was a great 56th episode. By the end of the month, we'll be at 70. So the 70th show will be on the 31st. The 60th show will be on the 14th. So we're plowing away, getting to 100. So again, thank you guys who tune in. Thanks for your support. And just keep watching, keep sharing, and keep getting information that can inspire you. So have a great day. It's Rob Foster signing off. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years' experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com slash speaks on Instagram at robert underscore b underscore foster on Twitter at RBF underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B. Foster. Till next time, shut up and grind.